your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Back to throw, looking to the near side, pumps, now comes back to the far side. He's now tap dancing, looking, throwing downfield, pass intercepted, picked off by the Huskers at the Iowa 43-yard line. Peters with a terrible decision that time, threw it right to a Husker, and out of there is DiCaprio Boodle, who gets his first career INT here on a Black Friday in Iowa City. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. And here we are, back for another week of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had an enjoyable holiday weekend, albeit having to watch the Huskers go down to defeat again to Iowa in the final minute of the game. Huskers driving, and then the sack fumble recovery by the Hawkeyes ended at 26 to 20. We'll talk a lot about that matchup here tonight on the program. Love to get your input at 531-500-4686. That is our Sports Nightly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. You can also fire off a text at that very same number as well. Scott Frost did have a press conference earlier today. We'll hear some clips from that later on in the hour. It's some Mondays with Matt. Matt Davison will be here in hour number two. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com will also join us in the second hour of the program to talk some national big picture for college football, which certainly being affected by the virus. Already have a game called off in the Big Ten for this Saturday as Minnesota will not play for a second straight week. They've canceled their game with Northwestern which really Northwestern probably is like, eh, okay, we're good. <laughs> Gets us one step closer to the Big Ten championship game in a couple weeks for the Cats after they got beat and tripped up by Michigan State over the weekend up in East Lansing. But Adam will be here in the second hour. Ben will have our weekend rewind, and we'll hear some clips from the head basketball coach, the Cornhuskers, Fred Hoiberg, as the Huskers will be in action tomorrow night against South Dakota. We'll hear him. He had a press gathering today following their practice as they get ready for the Coyotes to come to town. 8 o'clock tip-off tomorrow night. Our pregame coverage here on the network begins at 7 o'clock. Well, Ben, I know you and and Jeremiah got a chance to break it down uh, pretty extensively in the fifth quarter, but I I really appreciated the effort by the Huskers. I thought they played extremely hard. I thought there was a lot more passion that they showed than they did the week before against Illinois. But some of the same mistakes kind of reared their ugly head. You, you drop a punt in the fourth quarter. You miss a block, uh, leaving Adrian exposed where he gets hit and f- drops the ball. A uh, couple of those things make the difference in a, in a tightly contested Big Ten football game. And Nebraska still coming up short and making some of those bigger plays. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it just so frustrating to watch happen because um... – you know, Nebraska went toe-to-toe with Iowa for the entire game. And so many times on this show we talk about how, how games come down to just a couple of plays. And I, I think three plays turned the entire game, Greg. One, um, the holding penalty on Nebraska's offensive line that would have set them up in the red zone to tie or take the lead. Uh, obviously the muff punt, which would have given Nebraska great field position and saved a lot of clock and saved a lot of timeouts. And then, obviously, the last play of the uh, of Nebraska's offensive game when um, they missed a blocking assignment uh, and 
guy ran right around the offensive line, hit Adrian as he throws, and ball bounces right into the hands of an Iowa defender. Um, I mean, those three plays turned the game on its head. So it's unfortunate that we, we have to continue to talk about the plays that Nebraska didn't make and Iowa did make. Uh, it's frustrating that this is six in a row against those guys. Um, I'm not one for moral victories at all. I, I, I'm in the camp that we need to start seeing these results on the field. We need to start seeing these these little things, these details that we keep hearing every week from the players and coaches need to be taken care of, and they need to start getting that, that figured out. But I am really proud of the way the defense played, particularly that front seven against Iowa's rushing attack because – you and I kind of talked a lot last week on this show about what type of effort were we expecting to see against Iowa, and you know it, 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 there was a, a, a you know a possibility that that team went to Iowa City, laid on its back, and let Iowa run the ball down their throat because we've seen that happen before, um, and we you know to just to not really see any fight. You know I don't want to pick on the Chicago Bears, but you know you watched their game last night with Green Bay. And, you know, Tony Dungy's calling out effort in a professional football game, you know, on that on that last touchdown run by Jamal Williams. It wasn't inconceivable before the, the game had started to see some of that from Nebraska where, where your guys just don't have it. They quit. They're not trying to wrap up. They're not trying to tackle. Uh, but it couldn't have been further from that. I, I thought the defensive line did everything they could. I thought the linebackers did an awesome job plugging holes. Um I think Spencer Petras finished with 95 passing yards in the first quarter. I thought Nebraska did a good do- good job adjusting. The fact that Iowa's longest play from scrimmage was 22 yards and it came on the second play of the game on a ridiculous catch by their tight end uh, was great. Their longest run of the game was 13 yards. That's great. Um, Adrian Martinez threw two incomplete passes, didn't turn the ball over. That's great. But still, we're still a couple of plays short from turning the corner as a team. And right now, I guess how I'm feeling because I've been getting that question since then, you know, in retrospect, after the Illinois game, really after the, I mean, maybe even so after the Northwestern game, you could probably have come to the conclusion, Greg, that we weren't going to turn the corner this year, that the team is still, you know, going through things and you know, learning as a team, this wasn't going to be the year for Nebraska. You probably could have come to those that conclusion pretty early on in the year. So at this point, you've already lost to Iowa. You have just a couple of games left. You got to just take advantage of every opportunity you have in playing these next few games because none of the three are guaranteed. And so now it's just worry, you got to worry about getting better as a football team and work on the things that you need to to set your up, yourself up for next season. So that's kind of where I'm at, I guess, post-mortem. It really sucks losing to those guys. I'm tired of losing to Iowa. I was, I was really upset after the game, but I thought the kids played hard. I thought they played with passion. I thought they stood toe-to-toe with Iowa. And I guess the one thing that, you know, if you're looking for a silver lining, you know, we don't have – the same problem we had a few years ago when Coach Frosco and we just don't have to the the players to compete to stand in the trenches with Iowa. I mean, we did and we did we we did both. We stood in the trenches and we fought them for four quarters. So 
there is progress. I know fans don't want to hear that, but um, I think right now it's just it's focusing on doing everything you can as a football team to get better for next year. Dale and Hastings on our text line said, uh, with head coach Scott Frost saying many times that the mistakes we keep making can and will be fixed, in your opinion, how would you get it fixed? I think it's attention to detail. I think it's a little bit of confidence. I, I think when you're Cam Tater Britt, you just have to have confidence you're not going to fumble that punt. you got to make the play. Uh, that's part of it. The offensive line can't be jumping off sides. Um, That's the way you you just have to keep working at it and and have a mindset that you're going to make plays instead of not make plays, Dale. That's that's my feeling on that. And then his second question is, how's the crossover game decided? They're supposed to match you up kind of with somebody in the same part of the standings from the east. I still have my – I have questions whether that game's going to happen. We'll we'll have to just wait and see on those two things as they go. Also, some news that came out of the press conference today, Marcus Fleming no longer part of the program, Ben. He was not on the trip. The young freshman receiver from Florida had a five-catch effort against Northwestern a few weeks ago and hasn't made a catch since. Didn't make the trip, no longer part of the team. That's that's frustrating. In fact, Justin in West Point said, what's going on with this generation? I was excited about Marcus Fleming, had that breakout performance. Now he's joined the growing list of players in the transfer portal. I don't know how coaching staffs can keep kids happy anymore. This is a puzzle because Ronald Delancey, another young man from that area of the state of Florida, also checked out um, over the weekend as well for Nebraska. So that, 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 that group from that 2020 class from South Florida, pretty much all gone. Yeah, so uh, I've thought about this a lot, and um, you know, I think there's a lot of different areas that you have to bring up when when you talk about when you talk about this this specifically. Um, the first thing is, I think I think we're do, doing ourselves a disservice if we don't kind of cast a net on everything that the players on campus have been through, particularly the freshmen or the first year guys since they've been here. I think this, I think that's important in this case, Um, whether it's relative to Marcus Fleming or Ronald Delancey. I don't know. I don't know those kids, never talked to them, never met them. I don't know them near as well as I do any, you know, some of the older guys on the team. So I can't, I can't even speculate on where they were at, but being in Nebraska from Miami or any bigger city right now where you can't really go to class, you can't be in any social settings, you can't go to the mall, you can't see your family, you can't do any of this stuff except sit in your room and play football. That's all you can do. You can sit in your room, you can do schoolwork, you can go to practice, and that's it. I understand how this year is incredibly tough on players. I mean, it's tough on me, you know, being an adult and being in my house when I have my wife and my kid here, you know, it's, there's only so much that you can, I think we all kind of feel that way in a certain respect. If you've been locked in your home since, you know, March, I understand that. And, and so I think that's important to bring up. I also think it's important to bring up how, the NCAA has given everybody kind of this one-year transfer free, get-out-of-jail-free card. I think that players are committing to schools and going to schools with a completely different mindset than even they did three to four years ago, where if you make a commitment and you sign that LOI, you're playing for that school or you're sitting out a year. And so the decision to transfer if you're unhappy is a lot tougher to make because you have that year penalty. 
So I think that's important too. You know, you, you, you're you not happy with your situation. Maybe you give it four or five games. You're like, yep, I, I don't, I don't want to be here. But do I really want to sit out a year? Um, no, I'm going to stick it out. So I think that that's important to bring up, that these kids kind of have these one-time free transfer rules, and, and there is no penalty for them leaving. And Nebraska is not the only school that that's the case. I think that – the, the things in society right now, Greg, there's a, there's a certain generation of player in the last few years that for whatever reason, um, aren't happy with their situation. And you know, the fight or flight situation, they're flighting, they're not fighting, they're flighting. And they're, you know, the first sign of, we, we see it all the time in college basketball, how the transfer numbers are just skyrocketing because for one reason, or other kids are unhappy. Uh, I think that, you know the culture in your program has something to do with it. Are kids the right fit for what your what your vision is? And if they're not, get them out of here. If Ronald Delancey and Marcus Fleming weren't good locker room guys, and again, I don't know if they were or not, then this isn't a negative. This is a positive. You don't want guys like that in your locker room that are setting a bad culture, or even in two to three years from now, aren't going to be the guys that you want leading your football team. Get them out now and you know, just start over. And so I'm sure that was the case with a few of them too. Um, and, and finally, I think, you know, the, what the coaches kind of said today about it, which we'll get into is we got to start recruiting the right character and not just the right athlete. So I think all of that stuff, Greg, and I know this is a really kind of long answer, but I think there are, there are a lot of different areas that you have to bring up with the transfers. And I think Probably a little bit of everything that I just said applied in these situations. If these kids aren't on board, if and, and, and you know they happen to be from Miami, if the, these two that you know, from what I saw on, on social media, want to go around and trash locker rooms for fun, and you know, go on Instagram Live and do all this other stuff at really inappropriate times, and they want to, if you're Ronald Delancey, tweet during a game that you're not playing in, your thoughts on what the coaches are doing with personnel, get them out of here. They they don't belong here. I don't care how good of football players they are. So they left, whatever, move on. Let's try and hit on ones on the next class because I don't want kids like that in the program. Scott Frost did talk about this situation today, and he said we, we've got to do a little bit more digging in recruiting, and we've got to understand if a kid's going to be able to move this far away from home and be able to function in Nebraska where it gets colder than where they're used to. He says we need to, we need to ask more of those questions in the recruiting process than we probably have before. And so I think they understand it. They realize it. They get it. And hopefully they can learn a lesson from here. On the text line, somebody said, is this, is this happening at other places? The answer is yes, it is. It's, and, and COVID's part of it. They're not, you know, they're not getting a chance to see Memorial Stadium full of a sea of red. So they're not getting a chance to really experience Husker football at its best. And they're a long ways from home. And, and yeah, so there's just a lot of things here in 2020 that have not applied before. We were talking in the opening segment about the news of the day. Announced by head coach Scott Frost that Marcus Fleming has left the program. This followed uh, two days ago where it, it was announced that Ronald Delancey had entered the transfer portal. So Nebraska loses two more of their true freshmen from uh, from Miami, South Florida area. The head coach was asked about it today at the press conference about this topic. This is a really long cut, but he gets pretty detailed here. So I thought it was well worth our time. So here's the head coach from earlier today about this very topic. Uh, yeah, I, I think you know that's a multiple uh, facet answer. Um, 
you know, kids are a little different now. I don't think there's as much tough love for a lot of kids when they grow up. Um, our, our program is going to be about love first, and um, the toughness has to be built in along with that. That's how you reach players uh, today, in my opinion. If they know you care about them, then they'll uh, and genuinely care about them, then they'll do about anything for you. Uh, and once you develop that connection through experiences with people, uh, then it's your job as a as a coach and and sometimes kind of as a, a second parent to uh, teach them how to be tough, teach them how to be resilient, teach them how to be detailed and do all the little things right. Um, that takes a while, uh, particularly when you're starting um, starting off with new kids. And uh, I, I think our staff does a great job of that. Uh, again, this year we're playing a lot of young kids that haven't maybe learn some of those lessons as, as many times as the old ones. And um, the, the culture piece, you know, I mentioned it after the game, um, it's gotten better and better and better. Um, but it's still got to come from the locker room a little bit, and, and we're trying to train that. And, and hopefully we'll get some more time around the young guys. Um, as far as uh, departures and things like that, you know, first of all, we have to make sure that we we're recruiting the right kids, not just the right athletes. Um, we have to make sure that we're going to recruit the type of kid that's going to flourish in Nebraska. Um, and and I think certain kids are going to come here and assimilate and love it. Uh, maybe there's a few others that uh, wouldn't. Um, I went somewhere else and it didn't fit me, so that's not unusual. Um, this has been a tough year too, like I said. And, you know, Kids can't go to the mall right now. They can't be around other students. Um, I compliment our players for being really disciplined. We haven't had COVID issues, so they've been doing things the right way. Um, and one of the biggest selling points of this place is is playing in front of a sea of red, and we haven't even had an opportunity to do that. So it's it's been a tough year, but it starts with us making sure we get the right kids. Uh, Sam, I also think um, in this day and age, there's a little more impatience. Um, I was fairly high, highly ranked guy coming out of high school. I didn't play until my fourth year of college, and um, that that's not unusual. Still worked out pretty well, uh, but but a lot of kids now, if it if it's not working immediately, um, get impatient, and we we try to teach our guys patience as far as that and resilience as far as that goes too. I think that's a pretty insightful answer by the head coach. I think there was a lot in there. Um, a lot of which I happen to agree with. I think that, uh, you know, all that stuff applies. And, and, and I would agree with your point earlier, Greg, that one of the biggest sells to Nebraska is our fan base and our stadium and our game day atmosphere. And, I mean, you take that away, and, you, and you've taken it away other places too, but you take it away from here, and, you know, these student-athletes can't really get the full experience of what Nebraska has to offer. And it's not just game day. It's it's everything. It's um, just their college experience has basically been taken away from all of those first-year players that you know really don't know what what Lincoln, Nebraska is all about yet. There's some magic being around Memorial Stadium on game days, and that's what I think really pulls these guys in. That the feeling, the adrenaline that they get experiencing the tunnel walk, and then coming out of that tunnel and seeing that throng, that's the adrenaline you need to keep going and they're not getting that and so it's easier to go yeah semester's over it's cold 
I'm not playing. Let's go. I'm out of here. I think that's added into part of this. Chad in Rising City said, you hit it right on the nose, Ben. If they don't want to play for us, leave. We need the character, and who wants to play for Coach Frost? Perfect examples, Northwestern, lower recruiting classes, but they play hard for Pat Fitzgerald. That's exactly yeah, right. I, I think, And I think, look, it's not just that all the talented kids – are flighty. There are talented kids out there that have that fourth star, have that fifth star that aren't that way. You have to find them. And you can't just go after a guy because of how many stars he has. You look at, you know, a lot of those guys, Greg, particularly the Miami Northwestern kids, uh, they were late ads. You know, they Jaden Francois, who never made it here, committed to Miami three different times, you know, and even on his signing day, made us wait two and a half hours because somebody told him something and all of a sudden he was uncomfortable and it needed a, a, a phone call from Travis Fisher to make sure he signed. Uh, Marcus Fleming was a Miami commit. When If they decommit from their own homes, Keyshawn Green was a Florida State commit. I mean, these guys were committed to their home schools and, and decommitted and ended up someplace else. You have to ask yourself why. You know, why, why was that the case? And I think, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding in certain situations. So Mondays, we begin it with Matt. Time now for the weekly breakdown. What a memorable first game at home in the Big Ten Conference. With color analyst and former national champion. All the games played for this historic program. All the great rushing days that we've seen over the years and way beyond my lifetime and we've seen the best one here today against the top 10 team it's mondays with matt davison on sports nightly well doggone it this three straight years as iowa matchups gone down to the wire it's, it's like we're murphy's law we're due for something to pop in instead of something going wrong all the time that was frustrating yeah, another one that was that was close and um, you know pretty evenly played game, total yards, um, a lot of things. Both teams did well. Um, we stopped the run well, and played really hard on both sides of the ball. We knew that yards were going to be tough on offense, and and quarterbacks did a good job with completion percentage. They protected the football well. Um, but just a few things let let us down again. Special teams were not good enough, and field position hurt Nebraska all day long. And in the end, that might have been the biggest difference. Just the shorter fields that Iowa faced offensively, and uh, it resulted in a couple more field goals than what we were able to get, and and we still had a chance at the end. So. You know, you, you want to win games. That's what the, the ultimate goal is. We didn't win on Friday. It's frustrating. And and um, yet I think the things that, that cost us the game are things that we can fix. I don't think we got bullied or just pushed around the field, which is something that's hard to fix. Um, but the untimely holding penalty might have been the biggest play of the game, Greg. And you're down three points. You would have had first and goal in the red zone, or first and ten in the red zone. You know, at least a field goal there, maybe take the lead, and instead get nothing out of it. And then they go up six, and obviously we turned the ball over on the last play offensively on a on a um, block that we didn't make up front. So, yeah, it's a frustrating game for sure. I thought the the guys prepared well last week and in a short week and went on the road and really played their tails off and. Wish we could have won the game, but we didn't get it done. So got to get back to work today and and the rest of the week and get ready for Purdue. 
Did you like the mix of the quarterbacks and how they were utilized on Friday? I did. I mean, I think they both earned the right to play. Um, they both made good decisions in the passing game. Adrian was 18 to 20, so obviously he was good. And uh, I thought Luke did a good job when he was in there. He's really effective on the ground, and so you want to get him involved in the game. And I thought the way they they chose to, to go back and forth made a ton of sense. And, and um, you know, that wasn't the, the reason that we lost the football game, obviously. So uh, those guys played well enough for us to win. You mentioned the defense. Really outside the Illinois game, that group has competed pretty darn well most of the year. Your thoughts about what you're seeing on that side of the ball and some guys making plays over there? I thought they played really well. You know, they were faced with a couple of short fields because of special teams, the, the kick returned. Uh, the kick, excuse me, the, their kickoff returns, they were fair catching, but it was the, you know, 32, 35 yard line, and that's pretty good field position. Um, we drop a punt, which gave them a short field, and then they had a punt return that gave them a really short field. And still they, they held them to just 26 points, and with the field position they had, that's not too bad. And so, you know, you hold Iowa to 2.9 yards of carry on the ground, and they, they run their running back 30 times. I think their running backs in total had 35 or 38 carries at 2.9 a clip. So, you know, that's good enough to beat Iowa. That's what they want to do. And and they got a takeaway, too, with uh, the interception by DiCaprio Boodle. So, you know, the defense did a lot of good things on Saturday or Friday, excuse me, and, and probably in a lot of ways played well enough to win, too. So... Um, you know, the, that, that group is playing really hard. We're rotating guys up front. Um, they're banged up right now with, with Colin Miller not being able to play. So playing a couple of young linebackers who played well. The secondary's overall playing really well. So, you know, those guys, except for the one game, like you said, against Illinois, they've, they've played hard this year and, and have played good football. Again, it's our Mondays with Matt segment. Matt Davison, the color analyst of the Husker Sports Network. Okay, let's turn the page to Purdue. Your thoughts about that program? They've they've struggled in the last couple of weeks as well. Your your initial take on the Boilermakers? Well, they beat us the last two years. That's what I know, and and they beat Iowa this year. And so you know they're capable. I think everybody in this league is capable of be, capable of beating each other pretty much on a weekly basis. We've seen that all season. I think it's a strange year because of COVID and the schedule and uncertainty and players being out and all of that stuff and so I, I think that's created less certainty when it comes to the outcome of some of these games and so we, we we have to prepare well this week and and if they prepare the way they did against Iowa last week then I think we'll have a great chance this this weekend and um, so hopefully we do that but you know they have a couple good wide receivers that can really make plays a good tight end really big running back and so we're going to have to be stout on defense. They've been really good in the first half on offense. And so we have to start the game well and not play from behind and, and then be efficient offensively. Um, you know, if we, if we limit penalties and turnovers offensively, we've done pretty well this year and get the snapping issues done and taken care of. If we can do those things offensively, we've been really good. Unfortunately, there's been too many holding penalties that have taken us out of drives or a bad snap that takes us out of a drive. Uh, or a turnover that's taken us out of a drive. Those things you just can't do offensively, and we've done that too much this fall. And um, so if we clean those things up, I think we have a good chance on Saturday. 
You're around these guys an awful lot. What about the mental aspect of trying to keep yourself up after such a disappointing loss on Friday? Well, who, who is who are some of the guys that you look to? Probably the captains, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, Colin Miller is great, even though he's injured now. He's he was great on you know all week last week and at the game, and <clears throat> I saw him already today, and he was. Uh, you know, in good spirits. Adrian's done a great job. We have a lot of players that are that are tired of losing. I, I don't think we have any worry about their focus or their hunger to go win this Saturday. Um, the record isn't what we want it to be, but we have a lot of young players on this team that understand that we have to get better. And it's not just about this season. It's about moving forward the rest of their careers. And every snap in practice is important, and every game that we get under our belt is great experience that we've gained. So... Um, you know, it's a strange year, like I said, um, but we're going to have a lot of these guys back next year. And so they understand we didn't have bull practice a year ago. We didn't have spring ball. We didn't get very many padded practices this fall. And it's hard to get better when you're not practicing. So right now we're practicing and that's good. And so we're getting better. And, you know, again, the results haven't been what we wanted, but you know, next year is, is going to come and, and we're going to try to value every practice we have now and every game we have now to get reps for the right guys and and get us prepared to, to head into the offseason, hopefully with some momentum and some wins down the stretch here and and put us in a position to to have a really good 2021 by, by finishing 2020 the right way. It's got to be a player's dream right now, doesn't it? No class, just to worry about getting ready for a football game. <laughs> I wish I wish they'd have this schedule when I was here, you know, be done before Thanksgiving. That would have been awfully nice. Not deal with with finals during December. So, yeah, I think they're having they're having some fun right now, even though, uh, you know, they're limited on what they can do. They can't go out and do a lot of the things that normal college kids do because they've done a good job of staying away from the virus and, and being disciplined in that area. We haven't had you know, a big outbreak that's taken us out of a game or anything like that. So the guys have done a good job of that, and, and hopefully that continues for a couple more weeks here. Very good. All right, have a good week. We'll see you in the booth on Saturday. All right, Greg. Thanks. We're back. Sports Nightly here on a Monday night. Greg Sharp with you. And every Monday during the college football season, a chance for us to catch up with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com to get a feel for what is going on around the country. Um, and I'm not interrupting the Bears game tonight because that, that was last night. So you, well, I'll get your full attention tonight, I would guess. You will. And uh, I know it's been a tough year for America, everybody here in this country. But the good news is you no longer have to watch the Bears on national television. <laughs> where Our national nightmare is partially over. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you got to laugh at it sometimes just to keep your sanity with all this thing. Adam, tough weekend in the Big Ten. Let's start with Ohio State not able to play their game with Illinois. How concerned are they in Columbus about even getting qualified for the Big Ten championship here in a couple weeks? Well, it's certainly a concern, although it seems to me, Greg, that Ohio State has maybe preempted what we've seen around the country and even around the conference. Like before it gets really bad, let's shut it down and see if we can salvage the next game um, as opposed to, you know, what we saw in Minnesota and other spots. I mean, they, they, you know, Gene Smith, their athletic director, said they could have conceivably played against Illinois but decided that it wasn't the right thing to do. And then today we find out that at least some players were working out of the facility. So that's a, a somewhat encouraging sign. But, you know, you, know, you follow these things just as I have. 
usually when a team has to pause activities, it's very difficult to miss only one week or, or one game. So hopefully the Buckeye Ryan Day said if they can just have one strong practice on Thursday and a walkthrough on Friday, that they'll feel ready enough for Michigan State. They're obviously doing all their meetings virtually uh, this week, um, but uh, we'll see if they can get, you know, get back on the field uh, in some form or fashion by Thursday. That'll be the big indicator. But we'll probably know but even before then whether they can uh, play that game or not. Well, you mentioned Michigan State. They had a heck of a win, and they, they dent Northwestern's resume by beating the Cats for the first time this year. How surprising was that that Michigan State was able to pull that off? Yeah, I, it was surprising. And you know, I give them credit. You know, they were a team. Mel, Mel, Mel uh, Tucker really called out those players after their uh, most recent loss. And they had an extra week to prepare because they had a game canceled. And I thought they came out with a really good game plan. And uh, I think I thought Northwestern was, was on its heel, certainly early in that game, you know, down 17 to nothing. Uh, and then they, you know, they came back and took a lead, but then immediately uh, turned the ball over. It was just uncharacteristic all day for Pat Fitzgerald's team. A lot of mistakes. Um, you know, penalties, uh, certainly the turnovers, and Peyton Ramsey just wasn't very sharp at quarterback. And they, they've had issues running the ball all year, which has been a bit of a mystery because that was one of their stronger positions running back over the years. It just hasn't been that case so far this year. You know, they were very fortunate to beat Iowa also down 17 to nothing. So, you know, maybe it just kind of caught up with them. Uh, just uh, just they were playing with fire a little bit too much. And, and, and again, you make mistakes late on the road uh, and turn the ball over, you're typically going to lose. And so, you know, they're a better team than Michigan State, but Michigan State was the better team on Saturday for sure. Now, if I'm reading this right, Adam, they've clinched the West now with the cancellation with their game with Minnesota already announced. That, that does it, right? They're, they're the West champs. Well, so the Big Ten confirmed today that unless 12 of the remaining 14 games are canceled, which is obviously a very high number and nobody's rooting for that, um, Northwestern would be the champion of the West regardless of what happens against Illinois. Now, you know, if they beat Illinois, then it doesn't matter. I mean, um, even, if, even if there's a bunch of cancellations uh, and so forth. But with, with, with Wisconsin uh, not eligible for the West as of now, uh, with only uh, five games maximum on their schedule and the tiebreaker lost to Northwestern, uh, Northwestern already has the tiebreaker advantage over Iowa and everybody else on that side. So, um, yeah, so, so it certainly would be a shock right now now if it's not Northwestern on the West uh, for, for the Big Ten title games. Gotcha. Indiana's having a heck of a year, but they got some terrible news on Saturday with, with Michael Penix tearing the ACL that knocks him out. They're getting ready to go play the Badgers. That'll be really difficult for them. What a shame because he, he, he was a really fun player to watch. That's a blow for Tom Allen's team, isn't it? It really is. And you're just corresponding a little bit with Tom today. He said, you know, my heart breaks for him. And, and I think everybody that watches uh, Michael Penix and the joy he brings to the game and how much fun he is to watch uh, kind of feels the same way. You know, unfortunately, you know, some guys are just injury prone. And uh, unfortunately, Michael is one of those guys. You know, this is the second uh, time he's torn this ACL in college. He also had a clavicle injury last year. That So all three seasons he's played, Greg, have been cut short by injury kind of around the same time. Um, you know, uh, I think two were in October and, and, and one was in November, two were in, in November, one was in October. And so he hasn't made it through a season without a significant injury. And uh, unfortunately, that's happened again here. So you know, they're going to turn to Jack Tuttle, who's kind of an interesting player. Um, he was a big time recruit out of Southern California for Utah. Utah usually doesn't get those types of quarterbacks out of high school. But uh, Tuttle, who was recruited by a lot of the other Pac-12 schools, went to Utah, didn't really work out. He transferred to Indiana 
and now he'll get his chance uh, against Wisconsin this weekend. So that could be, you know, Indiana, again, as good as Michael Penix was against Ohio State, and he made the big play against uh, Penn State, they've been more of a defensive-oriented team. That's how they've won games this year. And so that, you know, Tom Allen brought it up today, their defense is going to have to be even better uh, beginning this week against Wisconsin if they want to keep the winning ways going. Yep, no doubt. Busy with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com here on Sports On It. We're talking college football. Another opening now in the SEC. Vandy decides to to cut ties with Coach Mason. They certainly made a lot of headlines. That program did this weekend with Sarah Fuller, the female kicker, mm-hmm. kicking off to start the second half. What about Vandy, and w- what direction do you see them going from here? Right. Well, as you know, it's it's one of the tougher jobs in in the Power Five, especially being in the SEC you're know, the only private school and you have a very you know unique and limited recruiting uh, base there as opposed to some of the teams that you're competing against. I think Vandy and, and, and you know, their, their athletic director, Candace Story Lee, said it today. They, they probably want somebody with previous head coaching experience. Uh, Derek Mason didn't have that. It was his first head coaching opportunity uh, when, when he came to Vandy. I think the one candidate, uh, one of the candidates who doesn't have head coaching experience but will be very intriguing is Notre Dame defensive coordinator Clark Lee, who played at Vanderbilt, who grew up right there. I think his father was uh, was a doctor in the Vanderbilt Hospital or something like that. And so he has uh, extensive ties to that area. But I think other than a guy like that, they're probably looking at coaches who have head coaching experience. So maybe a guy like Will Healy from uh, Charlotte, uh, maybe a guy from a service academy like a Troy Calhoun or a Ken Niamatololo or a Jeff Munkin. Um, you know, maybe it's someone like Lance Leipold, who I think has done a terrific job at Buffalo. You know, I think he's a guy that could certainly be a Big Ten coach at some point if, if Vandy doesn't work out. And so they, you know, they, can, they can be a little bit more unique with their candidate pool, but I would imagine they'll, they'll trend towards guys with head coaching experience and probably uh, coaches that have more of an offensive background, unless it's someone like Clark Lee, who's just so tied in uh, from his background uh, and, you know, being a former player and a Nashville native. Yeah. Let's go out to the Pac-12. I was really impressed with the comeback Washington put together in the second half of their game to wipe out a deficit to Utah. What's, are you impressed with the Huskies? Are they, are they good enough to win that division in the Pac-12? What do you think of them? Yeah, I think they absolutely are. With Oregon, you know, losing to Oregon State, uh, I think that division's certainly wide open with such a limited number of games. And you know, watch. I think Jimmy Lake's done a really nice job. I've known Jimmy for many years, and and always thought he'd be a great head coach. He's got great energy, uh, very positive guy, but also uh, really creates an NFL style program. You know, especially you know, you look at their track record of putting guys in the draft. You know, Elijah Molden, probably their next uh, star defensive back. And you know, they've, they've got some talent at receiver. They've been better offensively, honestly, so far than I thought they would be this year. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the big game will be against Oregon. If they can get through Stanford this week, and mm-hmm. obviously the Cardinal are in a unique situation because of the, the, the new order in Santa Clara County, they may be spending the rest of the season in the Pacific Northwest. But if Washington can get past Stanford, it sets up the showdown with Oregon, which, which likely will decide the North Division. And that would be huge for Jimmy in his first year you know, he, he texted me after the game that they have at least you know three or four guys he thinks will be top 50 draft picks eventually so that's kind of how he looks at players and and he, he's done a great job of developing nfl players there well that was impressive wiping out that deficit and coming back and winning that game a terrific last minute drive they put together to go win that thing another school out west that's caught my attention is colorado are the buffaloes they must have been making some progress out there they're undefeated through a couple of weeks of this thing yeah, who would have thought? I mean, Carl Durrell uh, brought in, in in late February, and, and nobody really saw that coming. 
for Colorado, and he's done a terrific job, uh, you know, getting them off to the, a good start in a really unusual season. Um, and so, you know, obviously they had their game canceled against uh, USC, but they made it up with San Diego State. Uh, they won up all game, and, and I believe they have Arizona on the road this week, a team that's lost 10 consecutive games. So, you know, they have a great opportunity to, to go 4-0, and and, you know, I don't know how they'll end up sorting out the uh, the South Division champion if both USC and Colorado finish undefeated and they haven't played one another. But, you know, Colorado is absolutely a contender. I think Darren Shiverini does a really good job as the offensive coordinator. He's sort of the, the constant former player, was on the previous coaching staff there. He's actually been with three different head coaches uh, at Colorado. And so they're, they're, they're scoring points and, and Carl's got them playing well uh, and really believing that they can have a good season. And so it's been one of the, the, certainly one of the nice surprises in the Pac-12 so far. And are you, are you dating Iowa State again? Have you guys gotten yeah. back together? Have you made a late night phone call? They still have me. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, I did give up early, but, but man, they have been. Uh, I mean, you know, they just they just know exactly who they are. I mean, you, you you obviously watch Big Ten football like I do, and I had a I was talking with somebody on, on the Iowa State staff, and actually somebody on the Texas staff, and they both brought up the fact that they're almost like a, a Big Ten team, just in terms of their identity and how they play. Uh, Brock Purdy has a terrific record in the Big Twelve, but um, you know they play defense. They they have complementary football. They run the ball with Brees Hall, and and they just uh, if they're in a close game, they can believe they can win it. They're not intimidated by anyone, and so yeah, I think you know Matt Campbell is just an absolute star, and you know we'll see how long he's at Iowa State. I think he's very happy there, but we'll have some really big time opportunities in the near future. So yeah, if they'll have me back, Greg, uh, I'm all in with <laughs> Iowa State now. Uh. Love that. Tom Herman's seat hot at all in Austin, or is he okay? Yeah, so it's an interesting situation, and it always is at Texas. And you, you know the complexities there, and you know it's a, it's a unique place. And and uh, you know I think I think that they're certainly um, considering uh, their options. Now the hmm. the thing about uh, Texas is you know if you're going to replace Tom Herman, you have to get a guy like Urban Meyer, or it's going to be very tough. And there's so much discussion about. Uh, you know, for people that I talk to, you know, a lot, if it's not Urban Meyer, who's it going to be? There's almost this feeling like if it's not him, whoever else gets it is going to be set up for failure, even if it is like a Matt Campbell or, or somebody who's a really accomplished coach. They need to create an edge at Texas, and I think they need somebody who comes in with that intensity and also the track record that's going to get the attention of the players there. It's just too country clubby of a, of a place, and I think Tom Herman, um, you know, he, it's not like he's a soft coach. I think he, he, you saw how his team's played at Houston, but he's not been able to create you know, that, that level there yet, and so Texas has got to decide, do they want to make a change? I, I've heard that if they did, the total cost of the transaction would be upwards of $20 million. If you're talking about buying out Tom Herman, paying his staff, hiring a coach like Urban Meyer, and then paying an Urban Meyer coaching staff, which if you're going to go that route, you got to go all in and pay whatever Urban wants to pay his assistant. So you, you could be talking $25, $30 million. So do they want to do that right now? Uh, it's going to be really interesting here. But I actually think, you know, you look at Texas, you look at Virginia Tech, you look at Tennessee, you look at Michigan, we could have a little more activity in this coaching cycle than we thought maybe even two weeks ago. Yeah. Last thing, game day going to Coastal Carolina. Did I read that right? They did. They're going to the Woo! teal turf. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for, for Jamie Chadwell and, and the Chanticleers and, uh, and all their fans. And who, who would have thought in a year where Alabama LSU has moved back that the, uh, the game day folks would be passing up uh, Baton Rouge for uh, – 
Myrtle Beach or Conway, Conway, South Carolina, Conway. I guess is where yeah. is where Coastal is. So, but they've had a heck of a season, and you know their coach Jamie Chadwell is a guy that's certainly getting some attention, you know, for South Carolina and maybe some other jobs. So, um, they've they've really done a good job there. That'll be a fun scene on Saturday. I, I love it. I love when they go kind of off off road and do something like that. I think that's great. Adam, we appreciate it. Enjoy the week. We'll talk again next Monday. Okay, sounds like a plan. Thanks, Greg. See the game last night? Which game? Any of them. Oh, there's a cat. A black cat is taking the field. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way. And so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25, near the 24-yard line. They've stopped playing. The players with hands on hips are watching the cat run and zigzag all over the field. Now a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. Let's check out the highlights. Steven Jackson's David. Reggie Miller's looking good. He shoots a three, and it's good. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. It's the Weekend Rewind with Ben McLaughlin. Well, we have added a, a column to talk about. We got college Woo-hoo. hoops nice. into the edition this week for the first time, so everybody pumped up for that, as they should be here on Sports Nightly and the Weekend Rewind. We'll start first. With Big Ten football in a game that we all saw coming in East Lansing, Michigan State and 8th-ranked Northwestern and the Spartans knock off 8th-ranked Northwestern 29-20 and hand the Wildcats their first loss of the season. And, Greg, man, how about the two wins for Mel Tucker against your in-state rival in Michigan and a top ten team in Northwestern. I know they're yeah. two and three. But those are two pretty good wins. Not not bad start for his tenure there. And you know we had Hondo on the Blitz last week to talk about Michigan State. And he didn't give much of a chance. He wasn't really high on that one. But they got out to a good lead and held on. Good for them. Yep. Indiana was at home against Maryland. The win was costly, but they scored plenty to beat the Terps. Stevie Scott of the Wildcat ready to take the snap from Harry Kreider. Here it comes, Stevie. Sprints to the end zone, dives, touchdown Indiana. And Indiana scores six more as they continue to rock the boat here in the fourth quarter. So Indiana gets a touchdown late. They pull away from Maryland 27-11, but a costly win for the Hoosiers as they lose Michael Penix Jr. That was the big question with Penix was could he stay healthy, and he did through five and a half games, but um, he has gone for the season with a torn ACL. feel terrible for him. He has just been injury prone, and they've been having a magical year. Now they got to go play the Badgers at Camp Randall without Penix. It'll be a tall chore for them this week. Yes, it sure will. It's been a tall chore for Penn State finding their way into the win column, but they go into the big house and take care of business. Dotson and Washington to the far side with Parker in the slot. Holmes after that run. It's going to be a quarterback run by Clifford to the 25-20. 15, near quarter to the 10-5. Touchdown, Penn State. Sean Clifford into the end zone. 14-yard touchdown run. Penn State on the board with their first victory of 2020. It comes in week six. They beat Michigan 27-17. Wolverines now 2-4, Greg. 
I got it wrong. I didn't pick him. I think Josh did pick Penn State, so he yeah. picked up another one on us. Man, that's just a disaster in Ann Arbor right now, and they just testing positive for COVID. Now they might be looking for a way of the season just to be over and to not have to play Ohio State. Yep. Rutgers and Purdue. Boy, this was an entertaining game. Rutgers was lighting up the board. Ball is in the air, angled left. Crookshank, one yard deep, going to bring it out. Runs left. 20, 25, 30, 35, cutting back 40, 45 to the 50. Crookshank, 40. Crookshank to the 30. Crookshank is going to go! 100 yards for Aaron Crookshank on the kick return. Followed his blocks beautifully, and the Scarlet Knights respond right away. That was gorgeous. Not the first time Husker fans have heard an Aaron Crookshank kickoff return for a nope. touchdown. Last time was when he was with the Badgers against the Big Red, but the Rutgers Scarlet Knights go into West Lafayette and stun the Boilermakers 37 to 30. Man, they had a quarter like a third string quarterback going for Rutgers too, Greg. And Noah was old hurt. Bob Diaco still couldn't stop it. Noah, yeah, Noah couldn't go. He's hurt, so they played their second and third string quarterback. Let me ask you this. Who's your Big Ten coach of the year? Got to be Pat Fitzgerald, I think, even after last week. Um, Greg Schiano's in the conversation, though. Mel Tucker? I mean, yeah. there's a couple guys that are in the discussion. Yeah. What a win, though, for Rutgers on the road. Oh, boy. At West yeah. Lafayette. Let's jump into the top 25. This one on Friday, was we expected a good one in Chapel Hill. A good one we got, but the Irish just pulled away late. Tight end throw to the right, Skaronic on the end around, and he will score standing up. Pure power football. The Irish run behind big bodies, and it's a 97-yard touchdown drive to claim the lead. Kyron Williams, 124 yards, two touchdowns for the Irish. How about Notre Dame's defense holding North Carolina? To, there's three points after the first quarter. They allow two scores in the first quarter. North Carolina not in the end zone after that. So good job from Notre Dame's D to help them to a 9-0 start. Yeah, that, that North Carolina offense is pretty good. So to do that to them, ooh, that's impressive. Absolutely. Good one in Austin as 17th-ranked Texas and 13th-ranked Iowa State locked horns. And Cameron Dicker missed a 57-yard field goal as time expires to tie it up for the Longhorns. And Iowa State comes from behind. To beat Texas 23-20, and now the Cyclones at 7-1, Greg. And seems like Tom Herman's seat's getting pretty warm in Austin from what yeah. I read. We talked about that with Adam last hour, and he thinks it probably is. Um, he just thinks that Texas might just need to be a kind of a start-over type situation, go get you a huge name and re reset the culture down there. So we'll see. Um, Texas plays at K-State Saturday. They probably need to win that game to save his job. He drops that one. He's probably out. Yeah. All right, let's jump to Saturday's game. It was the Iron Bowl, but an Iron Bowl that we're not quite used to. Everyone expected a big Bama victory, and, well, that's what we got. Play action fake. Then he pumps. Throws long. Devontae wide open. He is so wide open. It's unbelievable. Touchdown. 
66 yards. I mean, folks, seriously, he was so wide open, he could have stopped and read War and Peace, and they still wouldn't have been able to catch up with him. Touchdown, Alabama. Whatever you say, Mr. Eli Gold, he was <laughs> he was running all alone in the middle of the field on that play. Alabama yeah. roll tide roll over Auburn, 42-13 final score. Good night. Yeah, they're really good. It's been a disappointing year for Auburn, and we kind of thought that when we were putting together our top 25. We just thought that their schedule was just going to be too daunting for them to get through that, and uh, they, they've taken their lumps. And they got a they got a game given to them right against Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Third-ranked Clemson blows up Pitt 52-17. 31 points in the first quarter for the Tigers. Trevor Lawrence almost with a swan song after the game. Made it seem like he was done, but haven't heard anything on that yet. But throws for 400 yards for the Clemson Tigers. It was an absolute classic last year between LSU and Texas A&M. And even the year before that, this one, however, went to the way of the Aggies. On their own nine from the right hash. Trips left for the Tigers. Here comes pressure. Hit as he throws. Intercepted at the 15-yard line. Buddy Johnson, touchdown Aggies! The pressure, the pick, and six. Buddy Johnson. Texas A&M wins 20-7 over LSU. Improved to 6-1 and one on the year. LSU starting to tap out this year. Terrace Marshall projected first overall pick said that's enough for me and yeah. a couple other people opt out for the rest of the season as well as the tigers fall to three and four former national champions just getting blown up right now they are three and four on the season they're not alone we're seeing that trend go around the country i mean bateman did it last week in minnesota texas talking about them earlier they had a kid today just say yeah that's it i'm closing the books on college and so yeah i think you're gonna see more and more of that as we get deeper into december Yep, no question. Uh, Kentucky had a few players do that as well. They get routed by Florida 34-10. to 10. Coastal Carolina remains unbeaten as they improved to 9-0 with a 49-14 victory over Texas State. They're going to welcome College Game Day next week. Crazy. How cool First is time that? ever. Yeah. Some chance, 9-0. And let's finish it up with a good old-fashioned Big 12 shootout, shall we? We... We talked all year about Oklahoma State's defense and the way that they're playing in the low-scoring games. That wasn't the case. We're throwing it back to 2007, Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. I'm talking Des Bryant. I'm talking <laughs> Michael Crabtree. I'm talking good old-fashioned shootout in Stillwater. First and goal from the Tech 7. Sanders hands it off. Jackson right side takes it into the end zone. Pistols firing. Touchdown Oklahoma State. It's already a trifecta for Desmond Jackson in his first collegiate start. His first collegiate start, 36 carries. 36 carries. (laughs) Oklahoma State. 50 on the board. They beat Texas Tech 50 to 44. They brought tons of ammo for those pistols in Stillwater on Saturday night. Well, he had fresh legs, right? He had fresh legs yeah. for this game. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's jump into the NFL. The Lions get blown out on Thanksgiving, and that was it for Matt Patricia. He sat the rest of the year and will no longer be employed by the Detroit Lions. So, big note as we head into the games yesterday. Boy, we gave Vegas a lot of credit for the way they played Kansas City, and that was it for them. They they just flat did not show up against the Atlanta Falcons. 43-6. to 
Atlanta destroys Vegas, and what a disaster of a game for Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders. That yeah, was how do, bad. How do you play the Chiefs down to the final gun and then go do that? That's mm. that's the sign that you're not ready as a franchise to win big yet. Embarrassing loss. Yeah, Bills beat the Chargers 27-17 by a strong effort from Josh Allen. The Giants over the Bengals 19-17, but a costly one as Daniel Jones injures a hamstring. It's Colt McCoy's show, at least for the short term, for the New York football Giants. Ryan Finley is not the answer for Cincinnati after the injury to Joe Burrow last week. You know who is the answer, though? Derrick Henry. He just had all kinds of success in the first half against the Indianapolis Colts. Handoff. Henry weaves through. Henry is in again. Touchdown. King Henry has three. Crown him. Three touchdowns in the first half. I think he had like 147 yards in the first half against the Colts. They end up winning 45-26. That man at the end of the season is just a battering ram. Crazy. Look out for them. They'll be a tough out for teams in the playoffs. Absolutely. Um, All right, let's go to the NFC next. Crazy game in Carolina between the Panthers and the Vikings. The Vikings fumble a punt. And all Carolina has to do is move the chains a couple times. They can't do it. Minnesota gets the ball back with a chance at the end. Two receivers left and right. Cousins back to pass. Fires to the end zone. Yes! Touchdown, Vikings! Chad Beebe! Well done! Your first National Football League touchdown has made everybody forget about the muff, and it's tied the game at 27. Chad Beebe! PAT up and good. Vikings win at 28-27. have a lot of Vikings fans, Greg, and they've they've got mixed reviews. They're happy for the win, but maybe not so happy. They're, you know, maybe costing themselves some some draft stock. But, you know, who knows? Three-team wild card, maybe they find a way to back into the playoffs. Who knows? Yeah, it could. I mean, I think that's still to be determined if they're going to expand those playoffs like that. Have they? They haven't, have they, yet? Yeah, three wild cards this year. Oh, they have. talking about expanding it even more. Oh, okay. We'll see. Patriots get a game-winning field goal from Nick Folk, a 47-yarder or 49-yarder. Patriots beat the Cardinals 20-17. Can't figure Arizona out. It's clear Kyler Murray was just not himself all day yesterday, protecting that shoulder that he injured against Seattle. And they just had a hard time moving the football against New England, who are now 5-6 on the year. Dolphins beat the winless Jets at 0-11, 20-3 the final score the browns improved to eight and three with a 27 25 victory over the jags playoff big day for nick chubb 144 yards jarvis landry over 140 yards for cleveland as well eight and three for cleveland you still on that bandwagon are you off of it i was on it a year ago so i fell off of it i don't know (laughs) that i'm quite back on it but they're not bad yeah saints beat the broncos 31 three talked about this game a lot already um, how about just 87 passing yards the entire game oh. between both teams? Um, just the Taysom Hill offense for me, I'm just so far out on that. It's just it's just gross to watch. Um, and, of course, Denver, we all know the hand that they were dealt this weekend. Just um, not good. Not a good situation to be in in Denver. Uh, but Saints win it unexpected, or not surprisingly, 31-3. to Niners upset the Rams on a late field goal by Robbie Gold, 23-20. Big effort from San Francisco. Speaking of big efforts, Tyreek Hill ran all over Carlton Davis and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first quarter. Third and eight. 
Looks like third and one for this team. Down the field. Who else? Hill at the 10. Cut back. Touchdown. Touchdown and a leap. Tyreek Hill with over 200 receiving yards in the first quarter over Tampa Bay. Kansas City will hold on for dear life. Uh, they win it by three, 27-24. Fun game. Uh, over the Buccaneers. 13 catches, 269 yards, and three scores for Tyreek. Cheetah was just on one Gee, yesterday. My goodness, he's so amazing. Really, really good. It's really hard to – almost impossible to cover. Packers beat the Bears 41-25 on Sunday night football. Bears fans uh, are not happy. They are not happy. Four touchdowns for Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. Mitch Trubisky is just he's – just, he's not the answer, Greg. They've, they've got to find a way to uh, to cut ties with him and even even the head coach. I mean, they're just – just, they're, they're, they're a five-win team, and I have no idea how. He's a backup quarterback in the NFL is what he is. Yep. That's exactly right. All right, let's switch gears to the hardwood for the first time, huh? Let's talk some Woo. college basketball, starting first with our Huskers. Banton into Ivan Wadrago, back to Banton, hands it back to him, hesitation, cuts across the key, and finishes with the left hand off the window. Slick move by Delano. Delano Banton with a huge effort against North Dakota State. Big second half for the Big Red against the Bison. And Nebraska wins it 79-57. Teddy Allen, 22 points. What would you think of the Huskers on Saturday? Much better. I, I really liked what they did. Um, I think overall you, you didn't like dropping the game to Nevada, but I think there's some really encouraging signs to this team, and I hope they can continue that tomorrow night against the Yotes. Big Ten has three teams in the top oh. six, Greg. Iowa, they beat up Southern. Wisconsin destroys Arkansas Pine Bluff. But eighth-ranked Illinois up to fifth in the polls, hung on for dear life to beat Ohio 77-75. But Big Ten is not to be played around with this year. I saw Luca Garza was 13 of 14 from the floor and uh, had like 30-some points in the first half of their game. Just craziness. They play Baylor this week. That's going to be one to tune in. I think it's Wednesday night, Thursday night. So look for that one. That'll be fun. Yeah, no doubt. We thought it would be fun in Fort Myers between first-ranked Gonzaga and Auburn. Husker fans probably saw the end of this one. Zags roll up Auburn 90-67. to They look really, really good as the number one team in the country. 2-0. Fourth-ranked Virginia loses in the home light classic to San Francisco. The Dons upset the Cavaliers 61-60. That is the first non-Power 5 loss to Virginia since... The UMBC game. The, uh, they were upset as the 16 oh, wow. seed over the one seed. But the Dons and Virginia, their first loss of the season. The so. Dons, Ben, were supposed to be in Lincoln. That's right. That's what they, they were. Supposed, they were supposed to be part of that Golden Window tournament. Yeah, how about that? Um, and there were a, can- a couple of cancellations as well in college basketball, but we're just getting off and rolling. Virginia Tech knocks off. Uh, number three, uh, Villanova, 81 to 73, in overtime, and Michigan State beats Notre Dame to get to two and zero as well. So decent win for Michigan State out of the gate as well. So good to have college hoops back. And Greg, it wouldn't be uh, the weekend rewind if we didn't talk about the Mike Tyson Roy Jones Jr. fight, <laughs> as that thing finished in a draw. Tyson dominated him on on shots landed, but. 
they weren't going to award her a winner in this thing. No, it was like no blood, no hitting in the face. Try not yeah. to knock out. It was a g- giant publicity stunt. But there was a knockout on that card, wasn't there? Nate Robinson got planted. Yeah, he got absolutely smoked by uh, <laughs> by the YouTuber. But you know, it was it was funny to watch Mike Tyson back in the ring. A um, little nostalgic for me. You know, my dad was a big boxing fan growing up, and I did watch some fights with him growing up. So it was fun to watch him and Roy Jones Jr. in the ring again. You get you get the feeling that uh, you're, you're just waiting for Tyson to just unload one in his face and just uh, and just start to go. But he he looked to be he was in really good shape. He got himself in very good shape for that thing. Yeah, man. Yeah, wild. <laughs> Love it. Oh, cool. Good to have some college basketball mixed in there. We'll have it on the air tomorrow night. Huskers against South Dakota. In fact, coming up in our next segment, we'll hear from the head coach. He had a press conference earlier today. We'll play some clips from that coming up in the next segment. Rick Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you tomorrow night at this time. Husker Hoops will be underway. They play South Dakota at 8 o'clock. And Ben, the head coach, met with the media earlier today. Yeah, it's been a good season for Nebraska early in games so far. Coach Hoiberg started out by talking about how they've been able to start so well. Yeah, it's it's something that we stress a lot, Chris, uh, the importance of getting off to good starts. And we've, we've been stressing that really since day one, going all the way back to our workouts when we were coming in in, in small groups. Uh, talked about how most likely, you know, this was back a couple months ago, we were going to be playing in the same atmosphere as we had in practice with no fans. So we talked about being self-starters and coming out and getting off to fast starts in practice and then carrying that over into games. But we have. We've, we've been really proud of the way the guys have come out of the locker room uh, all three games, even the game we lost against Nevada. I thought we had unbelievable defensive energy early in that game. We just could not convert those into points, which ultimately cost us. Uh, but if we can continue to come out with that same type of energy out of the gate, uh, we're going to have a chance. What a what a fantastic I mean, way to start a season, honestly. I mean, that 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 is such an easy thing, Greg, that that could be a lesson to learn the hard way, right? I mean, that, that could be such an easy thing to have to learn the hard way. But to, to get out in front of that um, and be the be aggressor early on from this coaching staff, I mean, it just goes to show you that, you know, where their heads are. It's just such a, a, a you know, a relief to have that staff – preach that when you know it it could be easy if it was the other way you know down 10 to 2 you're down 18 to 4 or something you're like okay we got to find a way to to start better to to not have to learn that lesson of the hard way is an awesome thing absolutely and again i think you know while this is a new team these are these are guys that have all for the most part played division one basketball so they they get it. They understand it. I mean, Delano played at Western Kentucky, and Shamil's played at Pitt, and McGowan's played at Pitt, and Teddy's played at West Virginia. I, mean, I think that helps. These guys know you got you can't dig holes against decent competition and dig yourself out each week. So I think they've I think they're all fairly mature from that standpoint. Coach talked in that cut about you know the accountability and uh you know no crowds being being there and have to you know kind of provide your own energy how how has that been instilled into his players 
Yeah, we, we do we do some drills early just to try to get them talking, uh, try to get them communicating. If they are slow getting from drill to drill, we'll put them on the line and we'll run them. Uh, you know, just accountability to try to get them uh, to do the things that are important with everything that we're stressing. And, and a lot of that is getting off to good starts. So it's, uh, it's a huge thing, especially when you play early games. You know, we had two 11 o'clock games and then the 1 o'clock game in the first three and generally in those early starts uh, the team that gets off to the better start ultimately wins the game and you know it's huge those first five minutes are are so important when you're trying to establish the tempo and and get the game where you want it yeah that's I mean that's just such a a great thing they've been able to instill into their players especially this early on is uh, you know it's it's really helped them tremendously and led to the great starts that they've had one of the big spark plugs to this team, as expected, is Delano Banton. And Coach Hoiberg shed some light on um, Delano and what he's brought so far. Well, that, that's what we saw out of Delano in his sit-out year. He just He's such a versatile player, and you just see the energy that he plays with. Uh, he's the guy that gets us off to really good starts with his communication, with his voice. Uh, he does a great job talking. You can see it even before the game starts. He's out there trying to get the guys uh, pumped up using his, uh, using his voice. I've uh, been really impressed with how he's stepped up as a leader <clears throat> on this group. I knew he would go out and play well just because, uh, again, of the versatility, the size, the length. Uh, but what he's doing is, has been phenomenal, especially after sitting a full year and uh, coming back out, not skipping a beat. Uh, his timing has been really good. Generally, it takes a little while when transfers uh, sit out a year and then get back into playing. I've, I've seen it. Uh, with guys that I've coached <clears throat> at uh, you know at Iowa, certainly at Iowa State, and it, it takes a while to get that going, and he really has done a phenomenal job of stepping in there, and that it's a credit to his work. The kid does a phenomenal job uh, getting himself in the gym. Uh, he really worked hard on his shot. That was one area he needed to improve, and then on his body, where I thought he made great strides uh, in the year that he had off. But I've been really proud of Delano and all the things that he has done for our team. You know, most notably the leadership. Coach Hoiberg talked about using his voice, and if you know Delano at all, you know that uh, he is not afraid to use his voice and not afraid to uh, show what he's all about. Lano is a, is a person personality, and it was it was incredible watching him operate in Italy. I mean, this young man is just he's just got such a a happy go lucky way about him, and he coach talked about Lano's personality a little bit. Yeah, I, and I saw it last year too, Sam. He's got an infectious personality, and uh, we've got a we've got a group that has that. You know, you, the what is it? John Gordon's book, The Energy Bus. You talk about guys, uh, you know, being energy givers or energy takers or energy vampires. And Delano certainly is an energy giver with uh, his ability, and he and he doesn't have a bad day. I mean, he comes in here if if uh, uh, you know we have things that we're not doing right, he'll try to get everybody out of it. Uh, he's, he's, that's the, again, the thing that I've been most pleased with Delano is just really how he's taken over, uh, as a leader of this group and guys respect him because they see how he works. They see how he talks and they see what he's all about. He's a very unselfish player. Uh, and he is, he's a fun guy to be around. Is not, not every, he, he sure is. I mean, he's just, he's always smiling. And even in his press conferences, he's always talking about his teammates and he was asked about a triple double. And he said, no, I wanted to get out and let my teammates play because that's a game where, you know, everybody should be out there playing. So just the type of guy that, that he is, what has coach Hoiberg learned about his team in the first few games? 
Yeah, I, I thought that the starting group that we had uh, the other night against or the other afternoon against North Dakota State just put up huge numbers with plus minus, uh, you know, those lineup shifts that we have out there. Uh, those guys were outstanding with that. So you can you can see it. They're developing a nice chemistry. Uh, you know, we're still we've had good production. Kobe Webster gave us a couple really good games uh, out there. Ivan, uh, you know, still needs to finish better, but he's given us good minutes with his with his body. Uh, uh, the other player off the bench, Shamil, uh, has given us a couple really good games as well. Uh, so, you know, those really eight, I guess, that we're playing right now, uh, especially in the two wins that we've had, everybody's given us nice contributions. And, you know, it's true team effort. That's, uh, it's fun when everybody that steps on the floor makes, uh, makes a contribution. It was great to see guys like Jace Pajkowski hit his first three-pointer. Uh, and you saw how happy the bench was. Uh, for Jace when he knocked down that shot. You see how they're pulling for Elijah Wood uh, when he gets out there for Brett Porter, uh, you know, for the guys that aren't getting a lot of minutes right now. Uh, so it is. We, we have a really good cohesive group that has great chemistry. And, again, if we keep that up, then we're going to have a chance most times we step on the floor. And, Ben, they're going to add to that rotation with the two bigs when Walker comes off the suspension and, and Andre gets cleared from COVID. So they're going to have to kind of refigure this again in a few weeks. Yeah, they will. Speaking of bigs, what has Coach Hoiberg made of sophomore, young sophomore, Devon Drago? Yeah, I think some of it is mental, Andrew. There's no doubt about it with, with everything on the floor. And, and it's a confidence issue as well. You know, and believe me, as a player, I went through it. There's some days that basket looks like an ocean. There's other days that thing looks like a little thimble. And, uh, you know, right now, Ivan needs to have a couple games where he just sees the ball go through the hoop. Uh, that helps. That solves a lot of problems when you have a, a good game where you, where you finish. He's finished much better in practices uh, this year. And unfortunately, that first game, he had about four or five that rolled in and out uh, on the finishes. You can see he's more explosive. He's had some really good dunks in traffic this year that he did not have a year ago. Uh, so I think it's a matter of time. But right now, I think he's rushing it, and we've talked about it. And uh, he's getting himself off balance. Uh, the other thing, he's trying to force it through too many bodies. He got six offensive rebounds for us the other night, which was phenomenal. Uh, but you don't always have to go back up with that when you have three or four guys surrounding you that's a great time to kick it out for an open three so you know we've seen it we've watched it with him and like I said I do think he'll improve as the season goes on yeah that needs to be better him finishing around the rim or even as coach said kick it out because a lot of those are there's three or four guys draped on his back you've got multiple wide open teammates right and he's also he's still struggling Ben at the free throw line that's still been an issue for him yeah um one last uh, thought here from head coach, uh, you know, taking things a game at a time with so many games um, in a short amount of time. we got a, a rivalry in Creighton coming up, a rematch with Georgia Tech from last year. Coach Horberg gave his thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, it, we're, we're as of right now, Robin, we're just we're taking it one at a time. I know that's the oldest cliche cliche in the books, but you know that, that's all we can do is focus on the next one. We'll we'll figure out the conference when we get there, but it's it's like I said, it's going to be a battle. You see some of the teams that are always up there with you know Garza's everything is obviously advertised being the player of the year, scoring thirty six and a half uh, the other night. You see what Michigan State did in Notre Dame was an incredible. Uh, game start to finish. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll worry about that when we get there, Robin. I mean, right now, the, the only thing in our minds is this game tomorrow night against South Dakota. Going to be a bear. The conference is always tough. This year is oh, yeah. no different. And, and and he's right. You can't look ahead to the ACC challenge. They've got South Dakota tomorrow. they got eight, Florida A&M Sunday. And then you can talk Georgia Tech great, and that's next week. So, yeah, th this is a week to still get better. 
build confidence. Remember, this is a program Ben that only won seven games last year, so winning right now is huge for them to try to build some confidence before they jump into those Big Ten wars here in the coming week. So, absolutely good stuff. Yep. Game tomorrow night at eight, seven o'clock pregame coverage here on the Oscar Sports Network. Our Sports Highly Hotline. Brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. 531-500-4686. More of the show coming up. We've reached the part of the show where we're going to name our weekend winners. Mr. McLaughlin, lead us off. Yeah, tons of candidates this week for weekend winners. My goodness. I mean, I had a list of like five, but... I mean, hard to hard to ignore what happened at Buffalo University this weekend against Kent Whoa. State. Mr. Jarrett Patterson rushes for 409 yards. I think he finished like 18 yards, uh, maybe 16. I think was, the record was 425. He finishes with 409 and tied the record with eight rushing touchdowns. <laughs> Could have easily had a ninth, but they pull him out. Uh, Leopold did when they got to about the 15-yard line and and let the backup, who almost rushed for 100 yards and two scores by himself, um, just absolutely unbelievable effort by that young man. How, wasn't Howard Griffin the previous record holder for yes. BTN? I think he was. Absolutely. Yeah. Tim. Well, who could my weekend winner be other than Nick Folk, the folk hero, for drilling a 50-yarder to down the oh. Arizona Cardinals and America yeah. once again rejoiced as their favorite team, the beloved Patriots, mm-hmm. won again? Mm-hmm. How about Cardinals? Their kicker missed fairly short one right before that mm-hmm. gave the open the door for the Patriots to come down and win it, and they did it. Good for them. Austin, bring some sanity back to the conversation here. Oh, don't worry. That is my job. I, uh, if this were Top 11 Tuesday, I'd, I'd name oh. my lists. Like Ben said, he had plenty of winners. But I'll go to the NFL as well. Chad Beebe from the Minnesota Vikings muffs the punt. Gets bailed out by the Vikings' defense, only allows a field goal on it. Then he catches the game-tying touchdown. Vikings kick the extra point to go ahead. What a redemption story for him. Wild swing of emotions in the last 130 seconds or so of that game. Heck of a way to catch your first touchdown pass. Very good. I'm going Sarah Fuller, the female kicker for Vanderbilt. Kicked off to start the second half. First female to appear in a college football game. And Vanderbilt's pretty messed up, right? I mean, they've got this glorious moment. They're getting all kinds of praise around the country. And then after the game, they announce they're firing their coach. So they kind of stepped on it, right? I mean, you got this good feel. You're having a terrible season. And then you go and you fire your coach. So you take a lot of the headlines down from that. But that was a cool moment there for that. All right, tomorrow night again, uh, only an hour show. We've got Husker Hoops on the airway tomorrow night as they continue their trek through the non-conference. We'll hear from... Husker coaches with our practice report before that. Uh, earlier today, it was announced that Northwestern's game at Minnesota canceled. It'll be back-to-back weeks for the Gophers. Nebraska's supposed to host the Gophers in a week from Saturday. I don't know. I don't know if I how good I feel about that. And Ohio State certainly up in the air after they had to call their game off with Illinois Friday night. They're supposed to play Michigan State, so we might have multiple cancellations in the Big Ten Conference this week. We'll stay on that story as well. Buckle up, put the phone down. It's a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. That'll put a wrap on our Monday show. Thanks to everybody for being a part of this and some really good calls and text throughout the program tonight. Just an hour tomorrow night, we'll lead you into Husker basketball, the Big Red against South Dakota. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Austin, and all of you for listening to this one. Hope again you had a great holiday weekend. We're back with an hour version for you tomorrow night. Good night.